Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Vilander. Hi, I'm Andy Murray and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport at the end of what has been a rather rain-soaked day in Paris. Chris Bradnam has experienced it all in the commentary box with Chris Evert for the whole day and he joins me now. How has your day been, Chris, with another Chris all day? I would say it's maybe one of the highlights of my Grand Slam career. Being stuck in a commentary box with one of the great players of all time, talking about everything from A to Z and back again. A bit of it tennis, a lot of it life and so on. So how lucky am I? Um, We couldn't go very far in case, obviously, tennis resumed. So she was stuck there whether she liked it or not. Um, But it has been a frustrating day, even though it's the first day of interruptions. And I think it's, it's quite bizarre in a way, Catherine, because I think that now the men are all scheduled to play their quarterfinals tomorrow. I think most of the journalists, I'm sure you're included in this, you're nodding your head at me that, hello, all the quarterfinals on the same day for the men's singles title at the French Open, one of the toughest to win. Yes, please. Yeah, it makes total sense, doesn't it? Just to clarify a little bit, there was about probably a total of about four or five hours of rain delay today, the longest one being probably about two and a half, three hours. And uh, instead of nipping out to get a coffee or just to get a break from one another, Chris Bradnam, Chris Everett, we have the commentary cam uh, in our office so we could keep an eye on them. They just didn't draw breath. It was just constant. You must have covered every topic under the. I mean, I dread dread to think we won't. I won't ask you to betray any confidences, Chris. And I dread to think the topics that were covered. But, uh, but lucky you. She's a classy lady, isn't she? And you commentated with her on the Wozniacki Ostapenko quarterfinal, which had quite the surprise result. It really did, Catherine. I think that. The most important thing for me, I think, today about that match was Ostapenko was obviously playing in her first Grand Slam quarterfinal from Latvia. She was making open-era history. It was blowing a gale when they started. She's a big hitter, playing one of the great counter-punchers. So everything was in Wozniacki's favour. Won the first five games. But even then, Ostapenko managed to sort of get a grip and get things turned around a little bit and and got it back to 5-4, lost the set, etc., etc. We then had the, the rain delays and the interruptions. When they came out for the third time, I said in commentary, 
This must now feel maybe a little bit like Yelena's third Grand Slam quarterfinal. And on that third resumption, she almost played nerve-less. We've talked about nerves and stress and who's going to get over the line in this Grand Slam at the moment. She was nerve-less, and the way she finished was extraordinary for a 19-year-old. She served it out to love, didn't she? She's got something about her, hasn't she? She's feisty, and I can't quite work out the word for it. She's not sort of... She's not stroppy, is she? she I mean, I'm sure some people describe it that way, but that's not I, how I see it. I think she's just feisty and backs herself and knows herself and just believes in herself and that's really refreshing to see in someone so young in a a sort of non-annoying precocious way somehow absolutely and I think a lot of people remember the match she played against Naomi Brody in Auckland at the start of the year you want to talk feisty I mean I think Naomi sort of was saying that she threw her racket at a ball kid that wasn't the intention she was just so upset with where her level was that she just Let's, let's face it, she released the racket out of her hand in a pretty stroppy way, and it ended up either hitting or going very, very close to a ball boy or ball girl. So bad behavior, but it was, in, t- in, in that sense, when you look back at that now, it almost sums up why she's doing as well as she is doing in some of the tournaments. She's had big wins in tournaments preceding coming into here. She's now made the semifinals. And I think you're right, that feistiness, that desire, and it was really interesting within the conversation with Chrissy today, and I'm sure Chrissy won't mind me saying this, but she said, because I asked her the question in commentary, with everybody being so nervous, everybody being so uptight, everybody having an unbelievable opportunity, what's going to make the difference and get one of them to get over the line in what is one of the greatest opportunities any of them will have in winning a Grand Slam? And Chrissy's response to that was, I hated losing so much I didn't want to waste the opportunity of winning and I think what a great line from a great champion and I think something like that has got to make the difference I also mentioned that Garcia beating Cornet with Twitter gate you know I would imagine that every time we love a gate on the tennis podcast (laughs) Chris every time Caroline Garcia maybe got a little uptight in the match maybe she reminded herself about the Twitter to get that steel back. There was something putting a steel into yesterday, absolutely for sure. That was one of the most focused performances I've ever seen from her. So I think you could be onto something. And of course, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Ostapenko, almost the exact same age that Chrissy Evert was when she won her first French Open, 19 years of age. So, And I think those character traits that we're describing, they are crucial that if she is to pull off something extraordinary here which hey she's only two matches away it is those character traits which will enable it to be possible it is late at night I want to let you get back to a hotel and get a good night's sleep for tomorrow but just quickly the other semi-final quarter-final even which you were keeping a very close eye on Christina Mladenovic against Tamea Bashinsky. lots of people were talking before this one about how the pressure would tell the conditions obviously were a big fact was a big factor yes but for me and what I saw of it my analysis is that Plain and simple, Bashinsky was just better. She played a fantastic match. I don't think Nadenovic bottled it or choked or crumbled under the pressure. I think she was just beaten by a, a better player today. From what I saw, our commentary position, as you know, is on Chatria, and I was trying to have a sort of a, a half look at it. I would absolutely subscribe to that view. Bashinsky, particularly in the wind, with that sort of slicey forehand, and, she, and she's gritty, and 
She makes you play a lot of balls. I think from what I could see as well, it just looked like that she handled everything, including the occasion, better. Obviously, she's now in a second semi-final in the last three years here, so I think that experience did tell in, in the end a little bit. I think the home pressure. I will say that, you know, we're in the city of love. Paris has fallen for Mendenovic. I was a little bit disappointed with the speedy exit at the end of the match. Not a wave not a Messi, not a thank you very much. We've had a lot of Italian and English in her expressions during matches. Is that because of what happened at the Olympics last year with the French Federation? Especially on a day that had been very tough for the crowd, hasn't it? They could have, you know, a wave would have been, at the very least, a nice gesture towards a, a very patient crowd that had stuck around to, to watch her and try to cheer her on to turn things around. Not all of them did, it has to be said. There were some, some dropouts over the course of a very frustrating day, but... I think that's I think that's a very fair point, Chris. Yeah, I mean it's it's it was a bit of a shame, but you know I think that she'll be richer for that experience. Hopefully, she'll come back bigger and stronger, and she's maybe still surprising many many people. And we all know about the mixed doubles and the doubles, but I for one, I'm sort of still saying, wow, Christina Mladenovic, what she's achieved in singles this year, it has really surprised me. Does that underline where we are with the women's game? that it's all change and anyone can do anything? Is it underlining the opportunity? I mean, who knows? I mean, it's really interesting. Again, Chrissy Everts said that at this slam, it'll be very different to the slam at Wimbledon. You've got Sharapova returning, you've got Azarenka returning, and you've got Petra Kvitova. Oh, my goodness, how wonderful is it to see her back? We've all been through all of that. But they're big-time players. They're Grand Slam winners, and they're all going to be back for Wimbledon. So that changes everything. It'll, it'll have a completely different complexion on it, won't it, the women's game come Wimbledon. This is the most gaping opportunity there has been to win a slam ever, and I think for that reason Caroline Wozniacki might not be sleeping too soundly tonight. Yeah, I think she would have loved it to have stayed staggeringly windy but dry. And I honestly think if that had been the case, she might have got her first win ever against Ostapenko and have booked herself into a semi-final of a Grand Slam. I think with the interruptions, with Ostapenko gathering herself and coming back, the wind did drop a little bit, so her big game was starting to score. I then think the head-to-heads came into play big time. 3-0 and going into this one against Wozniacki. Staggering, she just hits her off the court, doesn't she? And that's kind of what she did today. Just quickly, Chris, before I let you go, uh, I've got a chat with Pat Cash, which uh, I'm going to play in in a bit, which kind of covers off the men's matches for tomorrow, but a very quick look ahead to the women's. Pliskova, Garcia, what's happening there? Good question. What I love about Pliskova is press conference. Laughing, chatty, voice going up and down, not on all the same level. That's an indication to me that she is very relaxed. She's not stressed. She doesn't feel any pressure here at all, does she? Zero expectations of her on clay, regardless of the fact that she's a higher seed left in. Absolutely. And when she said in that same press conference, I played really well in Rome and I lost. I haven't played a decent match here yet and I'm still in the tournament. And she's laughing and giggling as she's saying it. That might be the difference of getting somebody across the line. She almost lost to a woman that David Law had never heard of in the last <laughs> round. Yes, a payday Roy. But I mean, I think that, let's face it, as you get further on, the nerves are going to be there, the tension's going to be there. Is her serve effect enough on clay? As it is on the hard court, clearly not. 
I think that's going to be an issue. I think she served four aces in her last match, where it's normally it's double figures, so that there's an issue there. The movement, will that eventually catch up with her? Yes, it will. I do not see Pliskova winning the tournament, but I love her attitude. I love her relaxed approach, and I think that's a lesson for everybody else that remains. Halep's Svitolina, revenge for Halep after the Rome final? Good question again. I've picked Svitolina from the beginning. I never, ever, ever get anything right. Um, I think they're the... You fit right in on the tennis podcast, Chris. You can come on any time. I think the thing I have to say, and I'm sure many people are saying it, is that good on Darren Cahill for at long last, he didn't take any rubbish. After Miami, he said, enough. Attitude stinks, basically. And he said, we're done. That shocked, and she's used the word Simona Halep, that shocked her into saying... I don't want to lose Darren Cahill. He's a great coach. I have got to listen. He's absolutely right. I've got to change my attitude and mentality. Look at the tennis she's now playing. It's not perfect yet. She said that. She still has to work on her attitude. There's no doubt she's the best mover on the clay since Steffi Graf, in my opinion. Right up there with Steffi in terms of movement. She's got the game. She's absolutely got the game. If you then add in the attitude under Darren Cahill's shock treatment, and she's contested the final here. Pliskova, obviously, the final of the US Open. Caroline Wozniacki, two finals of the US Open before she was beaten today. Then I think Simona Halep now is starting to emerge if the attitude continues on the same upward trend as the clear favourite. Clear favourite for the title, which I guess means clear favourite against Vitalina tomorrow, which I guess means you're reversing your prediction, Bradis, which which is... Very welcome. Uh, I mean, we've got no rules against that here. We, we, we have to be flexible with our predictions, don't we? It's been a great pleasure to have you. That isn't quite the end of this tennis podcast. I don't want you to feel shortchanged just because there's been a slightly shorter day's play today. So I'm going to leave you with a certain Mr. Pat Cash, who I was thrown into conversation with on air at a minute's notice whilst wearing a poncho earlier today which is exactly where I thought my broadcasting career would take me suddenly I sort of had an out-of-body experience where I looked at myself and realized I'm on the telly in a poncho with Pat Cash here is me and Pat Cash and a poncho ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break, or even the latest bit of aggro. 
And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Yes, I feel awfully silly because, of course, here I am standing here in my Eurosport poncho and now there's blazing sunshine behind me. But I promise every time I take this poncho off, the heavens open and every time I put it on, uh, the sun comes out. That is how changeable the weather is here today. We are getting periods of really nice weather that tennis could be played in. But, of course, by the time that they think about getting the players out on court, the heavens have opened again. So that is the situation at the moment. Pat, they were talking there about Ivan Lendl in the studio. It's something I asked Andy about in my interview with him yesterday because the Ivan that we see in the box and on the yeah, practice yeah. court, that straight-faced Ivan, it's not the full story, is it? He is by far the most annoying person in the locker room that I have ever met in my life. And I'm not joking. But when he, when he was... Um, first of all, he's got really bad, bad jokes... Uh, and they're just horrendous jokes. But he's really loud. So he was, and certainly during you know my career, he was always the loudest. He was like, you know, it was like the king of the jungle. And uh, there was a bit of sort of chest thumping going on amongst you know various players. And and uh, certain players like that. And Ivan was just one of those guys. He was just loud, uh, terrible jokes, annoying, and it was always sort of making fun of somebody or picking on you. And that was his way of putting you down. Um, you, you probably wouldn't be that all that surprised to hear that I did. I gave my fair amount back back as well. But but uh, yeah, he is a completely opposite. And and um, I've just been I've been down in the locker room today a, a fair bit. And, and Ivan was yeah doing the same thing, telling jokes. And and you know what? It's it's kind of cool because it keeps it very light. And you know his jokes. Um, he's not quite as as loud as he used to be. Uh, but you know it sort of keeps it light, and the players can relax. And and of course, and and he's got a you know, full team there. Mark Bender's there as well, and um, yeah, Mark's a great guy and, and very uh, easygoing, and, and you need some people like that. And, and, uh, but when it comes down to business, um, you know, they, they get on with it. They get on with it and they don't, they don't mess around, and there is a, very, a lot of professionalism around, around that team. Um, and, you know, different teams have different, different things. I haven't spotted Andy. I'm not even sure where, where he's at at the moment, but I know down on the table, there's, uh, when you come into the locker rooms, there's uh, it's sort of a desk where you pick up the t- your towels and, and, and uh, on your way in and out, and there's some fridges, and then there's a sort of second tier down the bottom where there's TVs, and a lot of players are lying around on the on the couches watching the matches. So it sounds all, great. Pat. Yeah, it's not TVs like movies. It's just TV, it's all the matches and the scores and, and stuff like that, and and there's a couple of snacks around there, and then there's some tables and computers. And at the moment, Rafa's down there with Carlos Moyer and his team, and they're playing a game, a card game. Uno, maybe I don't know. What they're, they're having a great time, and they've been—they were there about two hours ago, and they haven't moved. So I don't know if Rafa's got up to stretch his legs at all, but it's quite a competitive game, and they're having a great laugh, and they're playing that they're playing, and they're laughing, and they're pointing. You know, they're having a great old time. So that's. And, you know, the tennis players tend to be... That's part of our job is to get used to rain delays and, and you know, take, just biding time between the matches. And, of course, uh, they've still got a little bit of time. They've got plenty of time to warm up. Uh, but they'll be, of course, conscious of, you know, what's every, you know, 10 minutes or so, they 
somebody pops out of the head, looks up, sighs, oh, it's clear now, okay, good. You know, and then the announcements come over. And as we know, the announcements here, sometimes there's an announcement just to make the announcement that there's going to be another announcement in about 20 minutes. You know, isn't it? It's, it's kind of frustrating. You, the, the sound comes on, you go, oh, there's an announcement. We're going to make another announcement in 20 minutes. Uh, great, okay. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's biting time a lot of the time, and these guys are pretty have to stay pretty relaxed. Uh, and as Annabelle said, anybody that was at Roland Garros 2016 will be pretty well rehearsed in dealing with these sorts of conditions because, relatively, we have been incredibly lucky this year, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, Guy Fouget is the uh, tournament director, and he's, uh, you know, he had a bad, bad run the, the first tournament, the first year, ex-player and a good mate of mine, and Joe with him about how bad he, he what year he decided to pick but uh well see that's another one of these announcements that are to announce to, that there's somebody's whistling and booing so i'm I, guessing it's just an announcement to make another announcement hear exactly later exactly what the announcement was but it, i can confirm it has not been well received <laughs> that's for sure it's no play for half an hour i'm being told which is why these really hardy fans out here most of them are stuck around through all of the showers honestly you think I look silly in my Eurosport poncho? There's a few people looking an awful you lot more. You do look silly, actually. Bedraggled the meat. Great, thanks, right. Pat. We're going to uh, get one. Back to the tennis. <laughs> back to the, how's the old posterior, Pat? After your your <laughs> after your outing onto the Legends Court earlier. Thanks for, thanks for asking. Um, to yes, I got beating a, by Gore. I did. I get. I got a, a, a fairly flush forehand volley in in the bottom, um, but uh, I'm quick enough to turn around, and I got plenty of space. Plenty of room there, <laughs> plenty of padding. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, Goran and I, yeah, we've, we've, we've got over that, kissed and made up. And, uh, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, that was a bit nasty of him, I thought, but there you go. Well, this is just my excellent segue to be able to talk to you about Goran Ivanovic because we actually caught up with him yesterday and spoke to him about the latest super coach on the scene. Obviously, Goran and Thomas Burdick announced yesterday morning that they were ending their coaching partnership together. I spoke to him about that. I also asked him what he made of Andre Agassi and Novak Djokovic teaming up because he's quite close with Novak. And he immediately said it is not going to last. He didn't give it... Wow. He thought it would only last three or four weeks and it was sort of a novelty thing and maybe it's giving Novak a boost now, but it's not for the long term. Yeah, okay. What well, do you make it. of that? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I tend to think... I, I, I'm not convinced that these sort of short-term things really work. I mean, I, I think short-term to test it out, OK, see if we get on, all right, but really you've got to have a plan further down the line. It's a different situation slightly with Novak because he knows his game. You're not going to change really anything in his game. It's all about confidence and, and working with him. Uh, I had a good chat with, um, uh, a long chat with Andre, I did an interview with him, and he revealed a couple of things I really shouldn't reveal it because it was a private conversation, but I was quite surprised, and he was quite surprised, at how much Novak actually still has to learn about competing with the other guy. Now, you'd, you'd think, this guy's, you know, he, he won four Grand Slams in a row, but Andre was saying, yeah, guess, guess what? You know, when, when this certain situation comes up, Novak doesn't, is not thinking of what the, what the other guy's feeling or the pressure. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, exactly. He doesn't, you know, he didn't really... Th so we're working on how to apply different pressure onto, onto, onto players. And, and is that just laterally, since he's been struggling in the last year, or has that always been the case? Because whatever he's been doing, it's won him 12 Grand Slams. Yeah, good question. I didn't really delve into, into it too much, and, uh, you know, that was Andre's, you know, just sort of saying, oh, I guess what, you know, there's still a lot to work... That was the point of being, is that there's still a lot for him to learn on the tennis court and I think uh, I think it's fair to say that we we all got stuff to learn on the uh, it's, it's one of those great sports we are always learning but 
he, he's saying that uh, you know Andre's got some some um, uh, Novak's got some stuff to learn. Uh, he likes that that part of the game because he's such a great competitor himself, and um, you know so that was fast. It was quite fascinating. So knowing that. I, I tend to think that this this may last a little longer. What, Goran, we'll see what see what happens. But I think if he can pr pr you know project or guess what um, work together to you know uh, work on these certain things, and certainly if Andre can can get through to Novak, uh, that he needs to be you know to be a more complete player, needs to be working on this, then that's great. Now if Novak thinks you know what, that's not an area I'm really confident or need to be working on, then it probably won't last. But um, I, I just tend to think the players that have longevity and have consistency with their coaching teams, I, I think it's a good thing. It's not a bad idea to get a bit of input, you know, for yeah, we'll Milos Raonic, John McEnroe and, and stuff like that. Uncle but, Tony, yeah, it's the exactly. relationship that's lasted. Yeah, yeah I had the same coaching relationship with my coach since I was 12 all the way through to, you know, I was in my late, late 20s. Um, and that's you know you know you you you, 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 you coach very well and and yeah, some of it is getting to know each other and some of the coaches have talked about that. Look, first few months is actually getting to know the other guy. We we agree on tennis terms, but you know how do I talk to this, this guy after his match? Do I leave it for after the match? I and mean, the guys were talking about giving information before. Uh, you know, after a practice match or the night before, some players you know would prefer like I want to sleep well. I don't really want to think about the match or probably most what wouldn't, but you know, everybody's, every player is different. So it takes a while to, to get to know the, the player. And also, when do you start bringing in, hey, listen, we've got to start working on this part of your back end. But wait a minute. It, Wimbledon starts in two days. Well, the French Open starts in two days. You mentioned this to me now. Are you nuts? You know, you don't want to be doing that, of course. So, so it's, there's certain times, and there's not a lot of time in a, in a circuit, in a year, for players to work on stuff. Well, exactly. It's a year-long circuit. It's, it, there's a one-month off-season, and players need a holiday. So what you're looking at is sort of a two-week training window yeah. to actually make technical adjustments to your game. It's, it's barely possible, That's is right. it? That's right. And then it's uh, talking to, you know, I, uh, Neil Fraser, who was a great Davis Cup captain of Australia, Wimbledon champion, US Open champion. He was one of the, the great, you know, with, with, along with Labour and, and, and La uh, Labor and, and, and Rosewall and Emerson. You know, he was in that group. And um, he often said to, to us as players, Davis Cup players, we were better than you guys. And I'll tell you why. And of course, we said, yeah, you were better than you. What are you talking about? You're old. Uh, you wooden rackets. And he said, well, tell you what, we had two or three months every year to go and work on our game. We got our game better. When do you guys have time to work on your game? And he's like, that's a good point. When do we have to do it sort of bit by bit throughout the circuit? And, and that takes a real skill to be able to do that, to, impu in, to bring it in. And sometimes you just cannot bring it in. So, so it's, it'll be interesting to see you know, if Andre's got some ideas, you know, whether Novak will take it on and whether he can do it quickly or whether it's something that he needs to, to learn a, a lot. But it's hard to imagine the guy can get better after the year that he had as, as far as tactics on the court. And it's, uh, it, was, it was actually really fascinating. Absolutely. It was so fascinating. Everybody seems to have a different opinion on that relationship, how long it'll last, what he's actually going to bring to Novak. But frankly, only time will tell. And in, in terms of the match he has scheduled for today, his quarterfinal against Dominic Team. if it does end up not being played until tomorrow, OK, that means that Djokovic doesn't get the day off potentially before his semi-final. But... Djokovic doesn't like conditions like this, does he? Doesn't like it being damp and heavy. Doesn't like it being windy. It could end up benefiting him, perhaps, in the end. 
you know, what we're guessing really, uh, you know, I think team would love to get into a slugging match, wouldn't he? I mean, this is sort of, this is what he loves to do. He's a strong kid. He'll hit and hit and hit and hit. And Novak likes to hit winners. Uh, you know, we know he likes to hit winners. Um, he likes to manoeuvre his player out of the court. If the conditions are heavy and slow like they are at the moment, the balls go into the back of the court there and, and they roll off into the tarpaulin and, and uh, or plastic tarpaulin, whatever, um, the covers, uh, then all of a sudden they get a bit damp and the ball kids throw them back on the court. They roll them along the ground and they become really full of clay and they're quite heavy. So these balls get heavier and heavier and Novex could get more and more frustrated. Uh, look, it could happen. It could happen. Um, it, it's, it's very hard to say. He's certainly he's full, he's got he's plenty of experience. But, of course, he won the French Open last year in the wettest year of all time. I mean, it was cold and it was freezing. So, but he had the real mindset to, that he was going to win it no matter what. And, uh, you know, after a shaky start against Andy, and, and he pulled together a great match in cold conditions, a bit like this, actually. Yeah, he certainly did. And, and just on Dominic team, one of the biggest talking points surrounding him, other than his glorious backhand and his improvement over the past year or so, is his schedule. He plays more events out there than any other top player, significantly more. Why do you think that is? Because he's never fully been able to explain it. Is he trying to become a player in the mould of his countryman, Thomas Muster, and just become an Iron Man out there that's physically up to anything? Because when he played that semi-final against Djokovic last year here, he was knackered, wasn't he? He was completely exhausted, and he needs to learn how to peak for the big ones. Well, yeah, I mean, you're in a a tournament, and I think he's a better player than last year, and he got into a couple of long matches, and he was exhausted. He's come into this match now a lot fresher, um, and uh, but you know, different players uh, and different coaches again have different theories. And um, my countryman Pat Rafter was a classic example. He, I used to say, why he played every tournament throughout the U.S. summer, and um, and he, he said, oh, I just love matches. I, I prefer to practice. I feel good when I get lots and lots of matches. But he, he won like three tournaments, and then he came in the U.S. Open. I thought he's going to be tired and. You know, he won, he won back-to-back U.S. Opens. So there's no arguing with, with a guy who wins back-to-back U.S. Opens doing the same thing. So everybody's, everybody's kind of different. I like to be fresh. Uh, and somebody like Nick Kyrgios needs to be fresh. You know, that's, um, but uh, d- different people. And Roger Federer obviously loves to be fresh at the moment because he's barely playing at all. But he's, when he plays, he wins. So you can't argue with that. So everybody's, everybody's slightly different. But the players who tend to play a real lot and practice a real lot tend to not have a lot of flair. They have a lot of touch and great touch because they just practice and practice and practice and practice and whack, 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 and they kind of lose that. Um, Guillermo Villas, is, who's the cha- who was the champion here back in 77? Long I'm time guessing. ago, long time yeah, ago. Yeah, and he was certainly final the year that uh, Matt's Villain in 91, I think, that uh, Matt's won his first first title. He was the hardest practice practicing player I've ever seen by a, a long shot. He used to warm up on a five-set match for three hours before the five-set match. I'm not joking you. He used At the end of his career, he, t- he toned it down to about two hours. But if he was playing a three-set match, he could possibly play three or four hours before he went and played the match. Now, he was a machine. He was the Rafa Nadal of the day. I mean, him and Borg. Borg always had the slight edge over him. Um, but if you, I tell you, if you want to go back and watch a YouTube shot, that, that YouTube video, uh, Villas versus Borg, and I, I posted this uh, on, on my Facebook page, my tennis buddies, but the rally, you're talking about guys who you could hit the ball back in those days. It was centre court here. It was the final. The first, I think it was one of the first points of the match. It was 50-something shots. And it was not just popping the ball back. Believe me, these guys hit the ball. He was a machine. But he also worked 
the flair out of his game. So he didn't really have touch. And talking to him for afterwards, he became a good friend of mine. I said, did you think you trained too hard? And he said, yeah, I, tried, I played too hard, too hard. I just didn't have any touch anymore. I, just, I was just used to crunching the ball. And so it's interesting. That could be a slight concern. And it's a little bit what happened to Musta. He had a great couple of years and then boom. He just lost the power and lost lost his game, and, and he tried to make a come comeback and, and that sort of stuff. And he just couldn't couldn't win matches anymore because he didn't have that sting. He worked himself to, to death until he didn't have that sting. What he did have was unbelievable endurance at his peak. And you know, I'm thinking that uh, team could be heading along those that, those lines as well. I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I hope not, because he's certainly a fantastic player, but yeah. Yeah, he's somebody that abs people, the tennis world is absolutely willing to be successful because mm. his game is so explosive, it's so watchable, isn't it? He's somebody that can really bring the crowds in to tennis for the next decade when the Rogers and the Raffers have gone. I think, I think my poncho has been a good luck charm for the weather because it hasn't rained for at least 15 minutes, which is better going than we've had for several hours. So we have everything crossed that we will be getting some play very, very soon. So uh, stick with us and we'll hopefully have the resumption of the two Doesn't women's quarterfinals very, very soon. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.